Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Bajamra, and I'm your host. It's so great to be back with you today. We are doing a series, as you know, called Dear Lena, where we talk about life and culture and faith and everything in between. And every week, I expect you to send me questions, except every so often, we get lucky. We've got great people that I interview and tell stories of, and we're in this segment right now. We've had a couple of interviews already, and today, a friend of mine is on air, somebody we've had in the podcast, but it's been some time now. Her name is Jen Michelle, and I want to tell you a little bit about her. She's written a few books. Uh, This one, I already told her, is my favorite. I want to talk about her book because I think it's going to bless you guys. Many of you are watching, um, have wondered, how how do you grow in the faith? How do you get established in the faith? Well, Jen Michelle has written a book called A Habit Called Faith, and we're going to get into it in a minute. But she uh, is a a woman who's written books, uh, including Teach Us to Want, Keeping Place, and Surprised by Paradox. Uh, I had forgotten, Jen, you have a BA in French from Wheaton College, and then you had graduated from Northwestern with your MA in Literature, which is where I got my MBA. So we are actually fellow alums. (laughs) And she lives in Toronto now. She is a mother of five. Two are in college, three are still in school, and I want to hear from her in a minute how she does all of this. Uh, She's also the lead editor of Imprint Magazine, published by the Grace Center for the Arts, and she is probably the biggest, one of the most well-read people that I know. She's the host of Inglewood Review of Books podcast. I want to talk to you, actually, Jen. First of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. So good to have you. Oh, so fun to be here. (laughs) It is. We were catching up a little bit. We go way back. Uh, for those who are just checking in, uh, Jen and I uh, have known each other, boy, over 10 years. Uh, we met at our church. We went to Africa together. We were on a mission trip together. Her husband and her were the leaders on the trip. And I'm surprised they didn't throw me off the team because <laughs> I'm not a great team player, but but we had a good time. It was good. That was so good. And I've kept in touch with everybody pretty much. That was like 15 years ago, Lena. Wow. It's crazy. And you used to live, of course, in Chicago. So much has happened since then. Uh, I don't know that I knew when we went to Africa that you uh, had aspirations to be an author, but boy, you have, I mean, now knowing you and what you've done, I mean, clearly this is, you're such a gifted writer. Uh, I was just telling Irina yesterday, that is your thing. You're just so good at books and reading. And I actually, before we get into the book, I want to talk a little bit about that gift that you have, which is you are so well read and I see it in your writing. And you are so busy. I mean, you've got five kids. My goodness. I, I don't even like, I mean, I, I'm, I can't even like, I'm, I'm not even in the same, like you, it's like Mars and me. I don't have any kids. I don't have any pets. I don't have any, I don't even have a goldfish and like, I barely have enough time in the day. How do you, how do you find the time to read? You know, I've actually been really struggling a lot with that in the pandemic. I've been reading a lot less. I think part of it is that, you know, the kids have been home, so that's been more challenging. Um, and there's just been a lot of together time as a family, which has been great. And you know what? Truthfully, maybe like I realized that part of my reading habit is sometimes a little bit of escapism. I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like I've really tried well, to... I mean- yeah, I mean, I, when, when you say you aren't reading as much, I mean, I don't think that compares to what the average human says. So, I mean, give us a little, give me a little flavor of like your strategy in reading. And I always feel like these questions wait till the end. And But I think this is so essential because I really think we are living in an era. And I've heard this a lot from people about the pandemic and it, we're, we're so distracted that it, we have to fight for the things that matter. And I think reading matters because it shapes your brain and your thinking. So what is your, what has been your overall strategy, even in the last two decades in terms of keeping up with reading things that matter. 
I think a lot of it is actually choosing to read a lot less online. I am very disconnected with like the kinds of articles that people share and love and comment on. I just, if you notice, even in most of my social media feeds, like I'm not commenting on that stuff because I'm not reading. And in a lot of ways, like I feel very disconnected maybe from those those conversations that are happening on the daily. Um, but, you know, I just sort of figure there's not, there, you can't really do both. At least I can't. I don't have time to keep up with just all the contemporary media and books. So I just prioritize books. Um, and I have a list, like I literally write on my list every week, the books that I am trying to get through, because I think it's really easy to get distracted. As you said, even if you commit to books, it's easy to actually sort of dip in and out of books in the same way that you would in the internet. Um, so I just try to think like, what are the books that I'm actually reading that I'm committed to finishing? Um, I keep a long list of books that I want to do you, get do you sit at the beginning of the year. Do you do that at the beginning of 2021? Like you sat down years, these are the books I'm going to read this year. And you put a goal like one a week or is that, what's your goal generally? You know, I don't really have a goal in terms of quantity because I think there are a lot of books that take a different amount of time. Um, so I don't, I think, you know, you could read a novel and I can read a novel in a weekend. I read a novel recently in a weekend, you know, and I'm going to read, I'm reading Julian of Norwich right now in middle English. And that's going to like take me so long. And that's a book that I actually had to like create a reading plan with, you know, like here's my plan. Here's the kind of what I'll read every day. Sometimes it's setting a timer and just saying, you know, I'm going to be sitting here for 45 minutes. So I'm going to read this book and I'm not going to pick up my phone and I'm not going to do anything else. I'm going to do this, but it really is. I mean, it, it's just old fashioned kind of time management. And I think attention management, I actually think is the biggest, the biggest, um, or the most important maybe frame for thinking about it. It's not as much like how much time I'm dedicating. It's just, how am I, how am I sort of corralling my focus? What do you do with your phone during those segments? Sometimes, you put it aside you know, or is it just there dis discipline to not? That's a, that's a really good question. I mean, sometimes I do. A lot of times I don't. I'm trying to be a little bit better about putting my phone away. My 18-year-old son, Nathan, is so much better about this than me. He will put his phone by the kitchen window. We have this on the windowsill. And then he'll just leave it there and he'll go upstairs and work during the morning and then check it at lunch and then go back upstairs and work wow. in the afternoon. So I, I have so much that's to your learn. Son? That's my son and he's 18. <laughs> I think that's crazy. I know you don't hear that. My, my nephews and nieces are like, like it's glued to their hips. Like this is amazing. Of course, that's that's really. I mean, I think he probably learned some of those habits from watching you and Ryan. But and and I think this is important because really you're talking about habits. Yes, I mean, we're talking about reading, but but this is the essence of this book, which I I think you and I sort of have the same philosophy on this, which is that you're a very disciplined person, and I think people sometimes tend to think you know like oh well that's just your thing, but but really. It's more than it's, it's. I don't think we have the luxury of it not being our thing. And sort mm. of, this is your. Tell us a little bit about a habit called faith. Which, by the way, I love the title. Tell us about the title of the book to start. Yeah, I think habit is actually something that a lot of people are talking about. People are talking about habit formation. People are talking about the ways that we're formed by our habits, whether we know it or not. And so, I just started to think. 
And, and I think it's just another way to talk about spiritual practices. We could talk about spiritual disciplines. Those are the words that are a little bit more familiar to us. But I think habit is a word that translates a little bit more to the person who's maybe less familiar with kind of churchy sort of language. You know, they might not think about spiritual practice. They don't really even understand maybe what that means. But when you say habit, oh, okay, I can, I've read Charles Duhigg's The Power of Habit. Um, I know a little bit about habit. Tell me a little bit more about that. So that was sort of, it was just a, a hook maybe for people who think about the category of habit, but don't think about it in relationship to faith. Well, I think even Christians, honestly, like, this is interesting that, that you, I think Christians think of faith as a gift. Mm-hmm. They might think uh, the gift of faith. Well, you yeah. have a lot of faith. I have a lot of faith. And so you really take it from sort of this esoteric, well, you're lucky, you're strong in faith, I'm weak in faith, but you really make this a very practical and tangible thing. So, so break that down for me a little, a little. Do you think that any Christian can have a lot of faith? Like, does this something you get better at, like a muscle of faith? Or is it something that God just gives more to some people versus others? I want to say yes to both. You know, I mean, I think we do have the witness of scripture. I know that that sounds like a dodge, but I mean, you do have the, there, there is a sense in which faith is a gift and that some people are gifted with more faith than others. But I absolutely want to say that faith is a response to what God has revealed and to, especially to what he's revealed in his word. You know, we know that faith is actually comes Mm. from hearing the word of God. And we, the writer of the book of Hebrews, you know, tells people that, you know, they didn't have faith because they just, they just didn't, they didn't combine the hearing of the word with faith, you know, so there's a way in which we do participate in our faith formation and in the growth of faith. And it's always a mystery to me. And I think you probably would, would say this too, you know, you meet people and they sort of like, Oh, you know, I don't have a lot of faith. I wish I did. And then when you sort of ask about their spiritual habits and practices and rhythms and routines, you sort of realize like, it's sort of like the person like, Oh, you know, I wish I were more athletically fit. And then you ask them like, well, are you walking? Are you like getting out to run or do you lift any weights? And they're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I mean, and so, and so it's interesting. We're talking about reading books, but now we're talking about faith. And really you bring up that verse in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so really this book is a 40 day journey, like a devotional, but it's more than a devotional. I don't think it's fair to really, like, I don't think you can summarize it as, oh, it's a devotional about faith because it's really a study of God and a study of his word. And one of my favorite people and books in the Bible is Deuteronomy. And I I believe Deuteronomy, because I think you've written about Deuteronomy before, if I recall in one of your books, Deuteronomy eight, maybe when you talked about want, I don't remember. Yes. Yes. Everything. So I don't want to misspeak, but so I I think you have sort of a, a, a love for that book as well, but I love the wilderness. I love the people of Israel. I love sort of the lessons from there. And the first half of this book is really that. And, and I, 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 first of all, I want to know, because you talk about Deuter- I mean, Deuteronomy in the first half and John in the second and, and sort of your thought process in, in doing that. But even before that, so I mean, you talk about people spending time in the word. I think a lot of Christians do something that you sort of inferred a minute ago. You said it's like we read the Bible, but we don't tie in. There's a disconnect between this practice of reading the Bible and the application of faith. Why? How does that happen? Why do you think Christians can spend years going, well, I'm doing Bible study, I'm reading the Bible, but you don't see them growing in faith. What is lacking in that practice? 
Oh, I can think of a story that um, I think I tell and teach us to want, but I remember being in church one time years and years ago and somebody saying, how many of you pray for God to help you to love him more? And I was thinking like, yeah, I want to raise my hand. And he's like, no, that's not the right way you should be praying. You should be praying, God, help me to know you more. Because if you know God more, you will love him more. And I thought, okay, yes, in one sense, that's surely true. I mean, if we know God, we will love him more. But I think it is kind of that idea of like faith being something that's informational. I think a lot of people go to Bible study, they read their Bible as if like they're they're just supposed to remember that what Moses's mother's name is, you know, so that they can answer that in Bible yeah. trivia or just so that they yeah. can like, so that they have a lot of information about God, but it's not a transformational kind of exercise. You know, it, it's not a heart exercise, truthfully. I mean, you even think about that question of this pastor, you know, do you pray God help me to love you more? I mean, I would argue that if you don't come to scripture and scripture isn't reading you and illuminating where you don't love God and how you do need his help to love him more, then I, I, then I, that's just not a practice that I even recognize. Because every time I open scripture, I feel like I'm not just reading it, it's reading me. And the writer of Hebrews says that, that um, the word of God is living and active and that it exposes the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I think it's a lot safer to read the Bible for information, but um, I think it we miss the transformation when the Bible reads us when it illuminates where we don't love mm-hmm. God and how we need God to heal the idolatries of our own heart. Well, yeah. And I would venture to guess a lot of Christians read the Bible with the idea, like, I need to know what to do today. I need to know how to react today. You know, so sort of like, God, I need you to help me. So there's still sort of, even though it's like, I don't think Christians really come to the Bible going, this is about me, but we really are making it about me. And, and, and so we get that nugget, that verse, oh, I'm good for today. All things are, you know, God can do the impossible or all things work together for good. Or and like you hang on to that and you're like, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. How do you take a Christian from that? Because well, even, I mean, this, this book really, to me, this book, I know that in, in a lot of the, I've watched some of the stuff online and, and seen some of the, the, you know, read the introductions and maybe some of the interviews. I don't know. I've enough. I've, I'm, 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 I'm well-versed enough in your writing to know, like, there's this question that's come up. Is it for, I think even in your intro, you talk about doing it as an outreach with others, but I, I almost feel like it's not a fair offering as an outreach because it's so much deeper. Like, I've mm-hmm. been a Christian. 35 years, I'm telling you, this is, I just, I, I texted Irina yesterday. I said, you've got to get this because it is, the, I love the way you think about scripture. I really do, Jen. And I think you do, you take it. It's like you turn it into a 3D. Like it's like, it's, it's all about God, but it's also about the people. And it's so, sort of see myself in the story and you have a very good gift of doing that for us. And I think, so I think it's almost like a book really for people who are so hungry for the Lord and maybe for new believers. So when you wrote it, did you really think this is a new believers write up or were you thinking, who are you really writing it for? (laughs) I mean, I really was writing it for, I mean, I was writing it for a variety of different people. I actually think that we can read the Bible this way with people who are on the periphery, you know, sort of standing on the other side of the proverbial door that C.S. Lewis talked about sort of looking in and and longing maybe for faith. Because I find that a lot of people um, that are seeking actually really want substantive 
faith or or Mm. theology or deep thinking. I find that in my church. I go to church in Toronto, downtown. We have people that, well, I mean, we're online, of course, um, but regularly we have people that are asking really hard and deep questions and they don't really want cursory answers. They really would actually appreciate Mm. somebody taking them into kind of the depth, sounding the depths of faith. And I think there's a sense that, you know, to take somebody to a book like Deuteronomy and to be immediately confronted with this idea that the the posture of faith is one of submission. It's one of submission to the words of God and Mm. the authority of God. And you see that, like you are confronted with that, like day one in Deuteronomy. And that's something that I think for people who end up sort of deconstructing, we were sort of talking about that before we started recording. It's almost as if they don't confront that until much, much later. Like they've been sort of sold mm-hmm. a version of faith that that evades that surrender or submission. And then maybe when it comes to a place where they're asked to do something hard or where faith feels costly or they have to sort of give up maybe on a desire or abandon a desire that feels very real and important to them. They don't want to do it, you know, because they can, and then they confront that almost too late in their journey of faith. So I think in one sense, it really makes a lot of sense too for people who are exploring, who are asking questions about faith to like take them into the hard things right away. Um, and, 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 you know, so I, that's just kind of my, my um, uh, one way that I imagine a reader, I mean, I have a person in my small group now who is a newer believer. She just started the book and she, it's like blowing her mind, not because I think I'm saying anything amazing, but I think it's actually forcing her into the Bible. She said the first time I've actually read the Bible in the way that you were describing, Lena. Sure. You know, I've had that kind of piecemeal, like here's a good verse and that makes me feel good for today. And, you know, here's a verse that sort of answers a question that I'm asking right now in terms of this particular practical situation that I need wisdom for. She's like, this is blowing my mind. Like I'm actually in the Bible in a way that I've never been in it before. And, and, and she said, you know, this feels hard, you know, in one sense, like God's really asking for at every square inch of my life. And I'm like, yep, yeah. And and then at, at the same turn, she's saying, but almost like, where else would I go? I already know enough to, to know that this is the source of life. God is ultimately the source of life. So where else will I go? Well, and, and there is a sense when I was reading, I've read the several of the days, you know, I think I've read the first 10 days, I can't, and I, I just don't want to rush it. I, I, I just love it so much. And then I picked up some of the John stuff. I haven't delved into John, but really, I am biased to the Old Testament. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Too. I love the Deuteronomy. I really, I mean, and I mean, Irina, my assistant, she's probably loving this because she's an Old Testament major in her masters. And but there is, you feel like like you're reading it, and and I, the sense I'm telling you, and I'm and those who are listening, you almost feel like you're so thirsty and you're being quenched, like when you hear truth when you get the meat of God's word. And I don't think all Bible study does that. I think there is. And, and so it really begs the question, have we been badly? And I say we in the general form has a church, has a Western church badly discipled people or tr- trained them. And I don't want to point fingers, but there is sort of this culture that I think until recently sort of we're coming out of, but sort of the last, you know, there, you can look at models of discipleship in the last 20 years. And you wonder like, have we done a disfavor to, 
to Christians, to, you know, sort of that millennial generation of, of sort of simplifying it too much, making it about, you know, you wonder because it is, it's, it's not satisfying to make it all about me and my needs and God, you know, are you here for me? And I think that's a lot of what happens in crisis of faith. Yeah. And it's almost like what you're saying. And I think this is sort of a theme that you've written on even before, like, you know, but um, throughout your, I think this is the way that you think about life, but, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I think there's also the sense, I think that we think, oh, if I'm going to dedicate, you know, sacrifice or risk, like we sort of have this idea of like, oh, that means going to the mission field. That means giving up, you know, like, you know, giving up your comfortable American life and going, most people are shying away from that. But really in the Western world, I feel a lot of the demand that Christ has for us is is sort of those questions and disappointments that come in our life that's sort of my next project is talking about that i think i think we sort of make like like you know well i'm not called to go to africa therefore i don't have to give up anything and so i guess i live in this here and now but really we we, we sort of stop short of understanding that what you're describing that call to give everything includes those maybe disappointments or those like going back to teach us to want those wants and longings and desires that perhaps we don't see them so spiritually, mm-hmm. you know, we see them as disappointments, but really there's a deeper thing happening, which is what you see in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and so talk a little bit about sort of the connection between Deuteronomy and John. What's the, what's, why did you, like, they seem so different in some ways, <laughs> but you don't see them different. You know, I came to it initially because I was preparing for a speaking engagement. I was studying in the Farewell Discourse in John, and I was noting that a lot of the commentators were saying there are parallels between the Farewell Discourse and John. Jesus is preparing to leave his disciples. He's giving them, you know, his final words and and Deuteronomy, where Moses is preparing to leave mm-hmm. the nation of Israel. They're crossing over into the land, and he's giving them his final words, his final sermons. And there, so there's there's that parallel, but there's also this parallel specifically between the farewell discourse in John, John 13 through 17, and the book of Deuteronomy, this parallel between the verbs that are used to describe kind of the nature of faith, that it's um, the act of we, Mm. it's see, live, love, know, and obey. And I just got super fascinated by those words. I actually initially thought, wouldn't it be great to like create the whole project sort of each of the days would sort of illuminate one of those words. But as we know, kind of in scripture, like it wasn't like Moses was, it's not systematized. You know, you don't open to Deuteronomy chapter one and see, see, you know, and then Deuteronomy chapter two is live, you know, they're all just sort of intermingled. But <laughs> one of the beautiful things that you see, and I think you, you just to take one of those words is the word live. And it's this kind of key, it's like a drumbeat, I think, in the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses is constantly saying, here are the words of God. And if you would just, if you would heed them, if you would obey them, you would have the blessing and you would live. And it's almost like he's pleading with them. I beg you to live. And what a crazy thought, right? Like we always kind of think like, well, isn't that sort of natural to us? Don't we all want to live? Mm -hmm. But it's this idea that, you know, sin is just so um, deceptive, like so self-deceptive that we would actually, we would follow what looks to be right in our own eyes and would actually be a form of death. It would be the road to death. And um, you get to John and, you know, you see that Jesus is saying, you know, come to me. I've, I am going to give you life, life abundantly. And the enemy, he's mm. the one who comes to steal, kill and destroy. 
And this, like, I've actually gotten really fascinated about this. I started to like learn, and I don't talk about any of this in the book because it's new discovery for me, but this whole idea of like the two ways in scripture, which I've known about in wisdom tradition, we see this in Psalm chapter one, for example, like here's the way of the righteous, here's the way of the wicked, you know, and choose the way of the rich righteous. And what Mm. does the righteous man do? You know, he meditates on the law of God day and night. Well, you could even take that back to the garden. There are two trees. There's the tree of life. There's the tree of the knowledge. I hear a second book coming. I I hear another book coming. might be because I, I mean that's I a great theme it's true. so fascinated by trees and this two these two ways but they're Deuteronomy and John really highlight that for us and I think we feel our hearts drawn to that invitation and I want to actually hold that out to believers but also seekers alike like the life of faith is true yeah. life true life yeah I mean and I, I sadly I don't know that we always see that I mean I, I think that's a difference. I mean, you live in Toronto right now. I don't know how things are there, but I see it dramatically different in Lebanon where the cost of being a disciple is so high that, that it's almost like it's there, like it's in the air. You can tell Christians because they're living at such a high cost of their faith. You know, like if they're like many have already sacrificed family and sacrificed home, you know, there's Muslims who have come to Christ. And, and so it's such an, a, a normal narrative of the Christian walk that you almost to know a Christian is to know that it's such a blatant black and white. And in the U.S., really, I would argue, it's sort of become grayish. Mm. Sometimes you can't quite tell. But, but I think that's a mistake. And I really think, I mean, I don't know, how do you think COVID has affected Christianity and the church? What's your sort of, now we're almost coming out of COVID, not quite, but people are starting to talk about like the post-COVID era. I mean, how do you think we're, like, how has it shaped our faith? Has it helped or you think it's, I mean, what do you see happening here in, in American Christianity, Western Christianity, really, as a broad brush strokes? I mean, what do you see happening in faith? I mean, I think, you know, to kind of return to our conversation about habits, I think that we've we've now lived a year where for many of us, we've sort of let go of some of our habits that were very sustaining for our faith. We agree. We are you know, I know plenty of people, people I would never have expected say to me, we stopped going to church around August, you know, like we attended online virtually for some time. Our church didn't resume services and now we've just stopped tuning in. So now here's this huge kind of lifeline that is given to us as God's people, just to be a part, just to belong to his people, to actually attend weekly worship. And the fact that like now people have for, they've abandoned that habit. You know, what will it be like on the other side? I mean, plenty of other habits too, you know, but I think that maybe other people have discovered new habits. I know for me, I've discovered the habit of fixed hour prayer, which is not something that I had before the pandemic. And I am not perfect about it at any stretch, but it's just this idea. What of is like, it? You know, tell, tell yeah, well. it's just, a, you know, this a practice of, you know, returning to God at, at, you know, certain moments of the day. And I actually just use a, I use a book. I don't make up my own thing. I just use a book called the divine hours. And so it's like, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner and before bedtime essentially. And you can sort of wiggle it around however you want but it was just like a new way for me when the pandemic had totally disrupted time. Like my experience of my life in time, I didn't have like 
I wasn't doing the same things at 8 a.m. I wasn't dropping my kids off at school. I wasn't picking them up from school. You know, all these just ways that my life had been routinized, it was sort of turned upside down. And so I felt an invitation like, okay, I can make some new ways to exist in time. And I actually can practice, you know, some, a form that's very ancient and old. So, you know, maybe for some people, they've discovered some new habits and that that have been great. But I have a feeling that all of us are going to sort of emerge from this moment and we're going to need to do a new habit inventory. What are the habits that I've formed that are actually not for my spiritual good? I need to get rid of those, you know, and what are the things that I need to return to that will nourish my faith? Um, And what are the things that I'm now doing that are new that I need to keep and I need to hold on to and sustain? How would you encourage someone? What is practically like, do you know, does it take 40 days to form a habit? Is that why you picked up 40 days or how, like say somebody's listening going, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I agree. And I, by the way, I, I think you're onto something. My mom said it in the summer. We we're talking about going to church online and she makes us sit with her in the room. And at the time we we're all kind of getting cynical. Now some places are open, but, but, but she made that very same observation as you're making. I think that older generation sort of sees that clearer. There is a habit of going to church that's fallen off and, and we're just, it's a habit. Like in a, to a certain degree you go, well, it's a, but really it is, it's a habit. You get up on Sunday, you dress. It's like the guy who tweets every Saturday, the Sunday decision to go to church happens on Saturday. Like you decide ahead of time what you're going to do. And so you're kind of speaking to that, but so encourage the person who says, you know, like, it's like somebody wants to lose weight, but like, how, how long am I going to do this thing for I see growth? Is there a certain number of days or timeline that they should expect to see? Okay. I'm going to commit to read my Bible. I'm going to commit to going to church. Like, when will it become not so hard? <laughs> when will it be more natural? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think every habit is a little bit fragile in some ways. Um, you know, as soon as you fall off, sometimes it's just hard to get back on. I remember when I first started reading the Bible, um, somebody said, do it for six months and do it every day for six months and don't miss a day. You know, a lot six of months, I was for 21 days. I know, you know, but I think... I, I like my version better. <laughs> 40 days sounds a little bit easier. Um, I think that most of the habit research says that the the question we can't ask is like how long in terms of how long of time, you know, does it take a week? Does it take six months? Does it take a year? It's actually how frequently, how consistently. So, so you, for example, the habit of church is a habit that's a little bit harder to form because we only do it once a week. Um, so we have 56 weeks, right. you know, of a year, as opposed to something that you do every day, that's actually a little bit easier to form a habit around something that's daily, just because we do it more consistently. The, the, so I think for somebody who's looking to start a new habit, starting small and aiming at more regular frequency is way better than planning something like ginormous that you will only do once a week, you know? So if you're going to read your Bible, you know, don't say to yourself, like, I'm going to, you know, read five chapters on Saturday. You would be way better served if you actually just read five verses every day. Um, because then that is going to be more habit forming for you. Well, and I mean, very practically speaking in this book, you break it down in very short, like two, three pages each. Like, I don't think there, I mean, you have a, a, you give an idea of what to read for the day with a smaller focus. So you make it very practical, a key verse, and then a very nice write up on the chapter. And then a reflection discussion question is your, um, you know, do you encourage people to read this on their own or to get together with others? 
Well, that's another piece of habit formation. You are going to be much more successful if you do it with other people. So grab a friend. I mean, certainly you could do it with a small group. There's a discussion guide at the back, but at the very least, grab a, grab a friend and say, you know, I really want to do this for 40 days. Will you do it with me? Um, you know, you could do it the way that I've also done the readings is you could do five days in a week. So it's okay to, you know, maybe have like a day that you need a, you need a catch up day. You need a day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all sort of need that. You woke up late and you plan to read in the morning or your Saturday was unusually busy or whatever it is. Well, and then the other thing that happens as you know, like you might, you might have a busy weekend and miss this. This is my world. Like sometimes, I mean, I can see this happening to people like you'll miss two, three, four days. And then you get like overwhelmed. Like, I'm not gonna, what's the point of, I mean, what do you tell that person? Like, how do you encourage them to be like, you know, just cause you missed the, am I supposed to go back and catch up or do I just pick up where I like, how would you encourage that person? It's like, ah, I can't like, it's too overwhelming to go back and start again now. Yeah. I would say, you know, don't pressure yourself to go back. I, I wouldn't personally, you know, like, there's no, there's no one rushing you. I mean, I think sometimes we put all this external pressure on ourselves sometimes when, you know, the righteous person falls seven times and it gets back up. And so it, there's just something the real benefit, though, of anything, and I say this at the beginning, is just in finishing. I think that a lot of times we start things, we have a lot of momentum, there's a lot of energy at the beginning, but all the reward really is like closer to the end. And so I think that's true of this book, and I think right. it's just true of any anything that we do, that sometimes we don't even see the benefit that is going to reap for us until we actually get closer to the finish line. So that's why if you have another person that you're doing it alongside, you have somebody who's asking you, how's it going? Who can encourage you. It's okay if you miss three days, you know, let's get back up. Let's I'll wait for you or whatever, whatever kind of encouragement you need. We all need it. It's not as if some of us have like superpowers and do this alone. Like I don't yeah. do, I, that's one of the things I've learned in the pandemic is how much I need other people, how I have to like really take a lot of deliberate effort to sort of reach out to other people and, and have them help me sustain my own habits of faith and just faith itself. How do you, um, you know, how do you cultivate, I found sometimes like you can put to get, you know, you can put some time and I'm going to read my Bible in the morning, but how do you quiet your soul? There's a quietness. There's, I think that that's probably at the heart of so much struggle. You sit, you read, you leave, but you don't feel like you connected with God. Yeah. How, how do you teach somebody to do that? One of the things that I do is, well, I do it first thing in the morning and I do not pick up my phone. I do have my phone beside my bed and I turn off my alarm when it goes off. And then I, I don't look at my phone. I don't pick it up. I don't open it, any apps. I don't even look at it for the first hour and a half of my day, essentially. That is so huge. And that's actually, you know, if you read The Common Rule, that's actually a really great book from someone who came back kind of from like a breakdown, essentially, a psychic break, a vocational yeah. crisis. And, and then he just rebuilds spiritually and emotionally and psychologically and physically just by way of habit. And one of the habits that he says is, I'm not going to pick up my phone until I pick up the word of God. I think that's huge because as soon as we open our phone, we are immediately open to a whole bunch of distraction. And then the other thing that I do is like when I sit down is I actually, I do some journaling. It's a little bit of like the clear out the clutter of just here are the things I'm just worried about. Here are the things that I just am noodling over from yesterday. I can't stop re 
rethinking that scene or replaying that conversation in my mind. And it's prayer journal. It's also just self. Sometimes it's just self-talk. Sometimes it's just, you know, I don't know, vomiting a little bit on a page. And so it's like a little bit of like what what's happening when I'm coming to scripture is I'm actually trying to bring myself into this moment with God. I'm not trying to gain just information. I'm not trying to pretend that I'm anywhere other than where I really am. And that's what I love about the Psalms too, Mm. you know, is that when they get into the presence of God, they don't really gussy themselves up. They're not all dressed up and pretending that they have faith that they don't have, or that they're not discouraged when they really are, or they're not downcast when they really are, um, or when they're not mad when they really are. And so if we can get ourselves to a place where we come into the presence of God as we really are, I think that's a good start. What do you wake up like an hour and a half before the rest of the family does husband and kids? I do. I wake up. Well, Ryan's actually been getting up early too. That's kind of been an encouraging thing in the pandemic is that he's had the opportunity to deepen and strengthen his own spiritual habits. So it used to be me up pretty early and nobody else up, but now Ryan's up pretty, pretty soon after I'm up, I'm usually up at five and the kids aren't even awake till close to, you know, seven or after seven, but usually about six 30, I'm, I will do a little bit of exercise in my basement. <laughs> so it's not all like, you know, prayer and that kind of That's stuff. And good. I, you know, I have like 10 minutes where I yeah. put the dishes away and I make my coffee and I wake up and, um, but it's become yeah, this, this yeah. is an encouraging thing for people too, is that when you start a habit, like a daily habit of meeting with God, it can feel onerous at the beginning. You feel like it's something you're doing because you should, but it won't always feel like that. I don't, nobody really has to push me out of bed in the morning. Like I'm pretty excited to get up and talk to Jesus. Right. Right. That's great. You started, um, you started the book with telling the story of going to friends of Ryan's Ryan's in the business world. You know, sometimes I think people can also sort of forget, like if you're a Christian writer, you know, sort of your life seems so Christian focused, so Christian based, but really you live in a very normal secular in a sense, your kids are at, you know, college in Toronto, they're in high, you know, high school. They're not in a Christian, you're not in a Christian bubble, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. And your husband is in, is in the business world and, how, yeah, how, talk a little as we come, you know, we're coming to the end here, but like, talk a little bit about like how your non-Christian friends have received, you know, that story I thought was interesting. Like you go to the boss and she's like sort of aghast that you're a believer, right? That you believe in the Bible. Is that like, like, are you an oddball in your area? You know, is uh, talk a little bit about how your faith plays out vis-a-vis like the world, secular world. And do you feel like, um, people are receptive to faith, like, or are they more like you still feel like I, I sort of forgot that point of like how people think Christians are weird, right? I sort yeah. of living in my own little bubble, like I, li- I work out of my house. I don't, t- but talk a little bit more about that. Like, how have you interacted with people who just are not open to Christianity and whatnot? Yeah, I think it takes a lot of time. I mean, that's what I one thing that I've noticed in Toronto is that there's a lot of nervousness about Christianity and faith. And especially if like, you're going to actually take it seriously, if you're going to actually read the Bible, it's one thing if like, okay, you go to church on Christmas and Easter and, and you know, Mm -hmm. you think Jesus was a good moral teacher, like that's all fine. But as soon as you start to talk about, you know, the exclusivity of Christian um, teaching, that the cross is 
the only way to salvation and forgiveness with God. Like people don't want to hear that. And so it takes, I, I think that I'm better at recognizing the apprehension and then trying to um, find ways for conversations to continue. I, I think that one of the things that I've realized is that, you know, my goal really is for the conversation to continue with my non-Christian friends. I don't want to just drop a gospel bomb, let it explode at their feet, and, you know, whatever happens will. Um, I'm not afraid at all. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that at all. Sure. Like, I don't like to for people to think I'm weird, you know, any more than anybody else right. does. But I do look regularly for ways to kind of bring down the defenses and then share vulnerably how I'm following Jesus in my everyday life. So I have a I have a very good friend that I've been doing this with now for like 10 years. You know, I've been praying for her. I've been sharing how Jesus is real to me, how I pray to him, how I learn things from scripture. And um, and I actually interviewed her for the book, which was kind of fun. And that doesn't that interview actually doesn't show up anywhere in the book. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a little bit of, you know, tell me how you would receive an invitation from me or somebody else to read the Bible for 40 days. What would that what would that how would you really feel about that? How would you respond to that? And I think what surfaced is a lot of things that we would expect. You know, she doesn't appreciate the hypocrisy that she sees in the church. And she worries that sometimes, you know, power is more involved in, than when you actually read the scripture, that it's just about, you know, helping certain people maintain power. And so she said, you know, I'd really want to make sure that people were not doing that. Um, and that, and she wants to see that people are actually taking it seriously. And, you know, she was saying at the end, it's interesting because she's actually a doctor, Lena, so you'll appreciate this. You know, she said, for as scientifically minded as I am, I can't simply believe that we're just a collection of atoms. There has to be something more. And so she's like, on the one hand, I asked her the question, are you spiritually seeking? And she would say, you know, I think what you mean by that is that I'm open to exploring or that I feel a certain need or a gap or an absence of God in my life. And so I need to kind of press into that. And she's like, no, I don't really feel that way. I feel like we're pretty good where we are. You know, we're very moral people. We're teaching our children to be kind and to be honest and to be hardworking so in that sense, no, I don't think I'm spiritually seeking. But then we get to the end of the interview and she said, but in another sense, like, I just can't believe we're a collection of atoms. Like there has to be something more. And she said, I may not consider myself spiritually seeking, but why shouldn't I be? Like, that's a question that I'm sort of left asking. Why mm. shouldn't I be? And I thought there's, there's a little, there's a little gap in the door, you know? And so of mm. course, like I've given her a book and we haven't really talked about it, you know, since then, but you know, I've been at this, <laughs> ten, I've been at this 10 years, 10 years of friendship with her. I know wow. she's not going to be, um, I know she's probably going to disagree with lots of things in the book. Um, but I don't right. worry now that our friendship won't survive those disagreements, I guess. Right. It's really good. I think that's really good. That's like, again, a habit of friendship. I mean, I mean, you look at these things. I mean, you've developed these habits, of, you know, you think about so much in life that's good, that, that gives good fruit is just developed over time. And I think, I think we need to persevere. I want to give away three copies of this book. So if you're listening, just email lena at livingwithbower.org. 
And I, I'm really looking forward to giving it away. Irina, you cannot submit. You have to get your own. I know Irina wants it that way. But, but now she'll get her own. And then, but three listeners, just email me. Y'all, we love giving away books. Jen, it has just been, uh, it's fun to have you. I mean, this is great. I just love the road that God has you on. I'm, I'm just, you know, you just, I just think back sitting in your house talking after the mission trip about some stuff in my personal life. And I just think about how God has worked in your life and in mine. And I'm in awe at his goodness. It's really amazing. And I pray that God will continue to open doors for you to preach his gospel. So thank you for coming on today. Oh, I really appreciate the invitation, Lena. Thanks so much for your friendship too. Thanks. I, uh, going to let you guys go now uh, as usual remember we'll be back to dear lena soon so why don't you send me an email if you have a question about faith or life or culture or just comments or feedback send them to dear lena at livingwithpower.org and you know you can get all sorts of free resources at our at, on our app the living with power app or just go to livingwithpower.org and if you go there you can join our community i teach the bible live every thursday night on facebook I would love to meet you there. So once you guys do that, in the meantime, just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He is so good and he loves you. Hey, I'll catch you guys again next week. Have a great one.